0: Hello and welcome to This Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top which is um what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing so um i would love to do that but um i don't have a bath so i can't but if you have a bath um then you know i think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain so if you'd like to check them out you can go to bu which is buonline.co.uk And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods, to Originally, their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me, sent me them when, I, when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called The Daily. And it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down. And it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, It's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar if your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body so we need to work on that work on your gut and mine has impo- mine has improved massively but i still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said Blood sugar is a huge piece to manage in your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their, their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hi, everyone. So this episode is an exciting one. Um, I am a blood sugar and gut health geek. So I was really looking forward to this episode. Today, I'm talking to Gargi Parikh, and Gargi is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a certified diabetes educator, herbalist, and yoga teacher with over 20 years of experience in nutrition. She specializes in diabetes and gut health and takes a functional root approach to health, helping clients health from the inside out. In today's episode, Gargi and I are talking about the profound effect gut health can have on blood sugar and vice versa. So many of my clients struggle with gut dysbiosis, SIBO, gut inflammation, and blood sugar imbalances. And so I think tying the two together is going to be really helpful for many of you listening today. So in this episode, we discuss the impact of blood sugar dysregulation on inflammation and hormones, the connection between gut health and blood sugar, and why gut health is important to balancing blood sugar, whether SIBO in particular can have an effect on blood sugar and why, how to begin supporting our blood sugar through gut health, And finally, simple strategies for gut health and supporting blood sugar. So if you're someone who has frequent energy crashes, you're fatigued, you have mood swings, you have hormonal imbalances, um, estrogen dominance, you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, you find yourself hangry, I cannot recommend this episode enough because we're talking about how to support your blood sugar through good gut health. And all of those symptoms that I just listed are signs that your blood sugar is not quite in the best place. All right, I hope you find this episode helpful. Let's get to the show. Hi Gargi, welcome so much to the show. Um, it would be really great before we get started, I have so many questions for you, but if you could introduce yourself and, you know, the work that you do really like what made you pursue this path of work because i know for me obviously i have endo i have SIBO, um and i feel like a lot of people get into this line of work due to their own experiences it'd be great to hear about your path
1: yeah i mean of course same i think a lot of my own experiences have led me here but thank you for having me on this is so great so fun um and you know so my my path when i when I first started, um, I've been specialized in diabetes for a very long time, from pretty much the very beginning of my career. And that was due to really my family history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, uh, Everybody in my, on my mom's side of the family had diabetes growing up. So it was just something I wow. grew up with. And when my grandfather died, um, he died of a, of, a, of a stroke that was a complication of his diabetes and he was on insulin at the time. Mm-hmm. And that really hit me hard. And that was right around the time that I was really just starting to get out into the workforce. And it really shaped my um my decision. And my my grandfather was also very much into yoga and herbs and like mm-hmm. healthy living and all of that. So he has really shaped a lot of my career track. Um, but when he died, I really was like, okay, I really want to know more about this. I want to be able to help people. I want to be able to help my own family because I just grew up being like, okay, we just, everybody just gets diabetes because people in my family get diabetes in their thirties. Right. Just, and they don't follow that typical look of diabetes. Right. It's like, um, you know, I'm South Asia. It's like a very lean, you can have a very lean look and still, because of the genetics and lifestyle you, you know it 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 you're more you have a higher propensity to get the diabetes so so anyway i just wanted to prevent it for myself i wanted to be able to help my family and then um you know so i've been doing diabetes for a really long time i just kind of fell in love with it i worked with type 1 diabetes um kids and so i just kind of just loved the whole thing um and how how complex it is and how it really affects so many things, right? So it really, when you start to balance your blood sugars, you start to see impacts on every area of your health. And I just love that. Um, and then I've really gotten into gut health more because of my own journey. I had um, gut issues, you know, I was diagnosed with IBS for decades, which to me was like, really didn't help me. You know. <laughs> Uh, And I went to doctor after doctor after doctor. And, you know, I was basically eating like five foods at one point in my life. And I was like, this is not normal. Like this can't be right, you know? And so um, I discovered I had SIBO. And then when I went down that path, I discovered I had parasites and histamine issues. And just the whole journey to heal myself um, really just made me realize the importance of gut health and also how it really then also connects to, um, diabetes. And, and then once I kind of opened that door, I just realized that so many people were coming to me, like feeling stuck with their gut health, even though they were initially coming to me for blood sugars, they were having acid reflux and all these other issues that kind of prevented them from eating well. Right. So now I really kind of tie them both in, in my practice and really, um, really kind of look at the body and more of like as a, as an ecosystem, really, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and we're learning more and more that the gut really is like such an integral piece and impacts so many things. So, so that's kind of where I am today is that I've just been bringing both of these pieces together and, um, and I'm loving it because I feel like I give people, it really helps people get better in both areas. So.
0: Yeah. And it's so important because I mean, we've obviously done we've both done Dr. Seebecker's course, and we know mm. that the, nearly the majority of SIBO, uh, IBS cases are SIBO. And it's like, yeah. God, how many people are walking around? I mean, I can't remember the stat, but there are so many people, millions of people walking around with this kind of general diagnosis of IBS, and they don't know what to do about it. Um, and I just think like SIBO is this, this really big issue that I I really hope that we start addressing because as you know, it's causing like nutrient deficiencies and it's affecting yeah. what people eat. And often people are like, okay, I can't tolerate vegetables but I can tolerate white bread and white rice Mm -hmm. and that's not great for blood
1: sugar right so yeah it's or they're constipated and or have diarrhea mm. and so you're like how do you even eat a balanced meal you know because all I'm thinking about is like the fact that I either can't go or I'm going too much right like so um yeah absolutely um so complete side note
0: but I did you manage to uh get rid of your SIBO or you a chronic case
1: like me? (laughs) No, I, I did get, I did manage to get rid of it. Um, I had to do multiple treatments though. You know, I initially when I, I had to, you know, this is the other thing I couldn't find anyone to really heal me Mm -hmm, (laughs) at the mm -hmm. time. So I really had to just figure it out myself. And I really just learned. And, um, I, I ended up, it was, uh, I came back. And then when I, when I, uh, realized I had parasites and then the histamine issue and I healed those two things and then I did the treatment again um for SIBO. Then since then it's been gone. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah that I mean it's definitely what we see, isn't it? Like if there's something like mold or there's parasites or there's MCAS. It's kind of harder to treat for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well I'm glad you got rid of it. That's an inspiration for me. Um so as you you know, we just discussed, you specialize in this area of like blood sugar, diabetes and gut health. And I talk about this a lot, um, mm-hmm. you know, for people with endo, there is actually association between endometriosis and insulin resistance and certainly mm-hmm. PCOS. Um, I think the kind of, I think it's something around like 60 to 80% of people with endometriosis have PCOS. although. Wow, Interestingly, yeah. I see less PCOS um, than I do SIBO. And so they're kind of supposed to be on par in terms of the, what the research is showing. But maybe it's just, you know, the clients I attract. But we, you know, we know it's very, very high. Um, and we know that there's this kind of insulin resistance issue going on that I'm, you know, maybe it's just down to the PCOS. Um, but certainly every client that I've seen. I don't think there's a single client who hasn't had um, hyperglycemia, really, Um, you know, Mm. fainting, just feeling really, really shaky after meals, um, feeling really hangry. Like, it's such a big area of the work that I do. And, you know, we know that blood sugar affects inflammation and endo is an inflammatory Mm -hmm. condition. And we know that blood sugar affects hormones. So it'd be really great to hear, you know, from your perspective as as such an expert in the area of blood sugar, what is the impact on blood sugar and inflammation and, and hormones, if you can speak to that?
1: Yeah. I mean, this whole hormone piece is really, really fascinating. I've been digging into this more because it also affects for, for me and my clients, I see a lot of hormonal issues being impacted um, when people hit perimenopause and menopause. Mm, Yeah. And I don't think that gets enough, uh, enough attention either. So yeah, this whole area of hormones is is very fascinating. So, you know, um, so from, from the blood sugar perspective, right? Like for when you have high blood sugars, that is really a stressor on the body, right? So that when you have high blood sugar, that is, um, going to trigger an inflammatory response, but you also have the fluctuating blood sugars also trigger an inflammatory response, right? So, so, Both of those things are going to be impacting your insulin, the hormone insulin, which is responsible for really transporting sugar into the blood, to the, um, the glucose into the body. And when there's too much of this, when there's too much imbalance in the, with insulin and, and that really starts to trigger, do you want me to get more detailed on this piece or is that
0: yeah i mean if you if you want to go detailed i love the detail (laughs) but you know it's really what you want to do
1: yeah i mean well so so first of all you know like when we're eating food maybe this is like very common knowledge to your to your um audience but when you're eating food and that 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 is going to to cause a um insulin to be produced and then that insulin comes in and takes the food and brings it into the cells right when everything's working well but when, when you have that insulin risk, when you have insulin resistance happening and that for, for various reasons that insulin is not being recognized or utilized, and, and then the sugar just stays out in the bloodstream, that is actually a very inflammatory uh, process for the body. Right. And also then that fluctuation can can also happen because your your body's making more insulin. That can also then cause ups and downs in blood sugars. And th- that overall, then when the body's just pumping out more insulin because the sugar is out on the bloodstream, um, your your that insulin resistance then is the more insulin being produced, that insulin resistance then triggers a whole host of 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 hormonal like a cascade of hormonal responses, right? So first of all, that imbalance is a really big deal. So like the ups and downs of blood sugars, the high blood sugars can really cause um, a lot of inflammation to happen in the body. The sugar in the blood is, can, is reactive and produces like free radicals and having free radicals is 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 natural, is a natural body process, but the oxidative stress, which occurs when there's too many free radicals in the body um, can really be, detrimental to blood vessels and, and other systems of the body. Right. Um, so controlling that is really important. And what, and then when, when we get into the hormones piece, because insulin is such an important hormone that really impacts everything else, you're going to start, you start to see an impact on all sorts of hormones, right? You start to see that, um, it affects cortisol levels. It starts to affect progesterone levels and estrogen levels. And so now you have an imbalance in all of these things and, 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 and symptoms can be exasperated for all of these different things. So an example would be cortisol, you know, for say you're stressed out and you that is going to stimulate cortisol. And if you have high, um, if you have high cortisol levels, cortisol and progesterone have a, a relationship. And so cortisol, too much cortisol is going to pull from your progesterone levels, right? Mm-hmm. Which sets the stage for estrogen dominance or low progesterone. Um, and which can cause other issues like shorter cycles and other, you know, spotting things like that, because it cause, you know, it really causes those uh, hormones to be imbalanced. So regulating our blood sugars helps us regulate, corti- you know, cortisol and, and insulin, which then helps us regulate all of these other hormones that are also so important, um, when it comes to endometriosis and other, other issues like PCOS or, um, or just, you know, fertility and things like that. So did that help kind of explain a little bit of, of the connection there? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it really does. So let's talk a bit about the connection between gut health and and blood sugar, because this is an area that I have found really interesting. uh, But, you know, I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to dive as deep into it. Um, And Dr. Jacoby, she has said that there is a connection with SIBO. um, And in fact, we're going to get onto this later. But I feel like I haven't easily found that much information about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a PCOS training the other day actually, and it was saying that people with PCOS and research have shown that they're low in acromantia bacterial mm-hmm. strain and that yeah. can have an impact on blood sugar. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. this is kind of yeah. like, you know, great information because I was struggling, struggling to find
1: some, but I'd yeah. love to hear like, yeah. What is the connection between gut health and blood sugar yeah, is there it, one is totally there's totally one yeah really quickly i also wanted to mention from our prior conversation about inflammation the other interesting thing is that inflammation can also impact our ability to process blood sugars so it's mm-hmm. kind of you know they it's a it's it's both things so if you have inflammation underlying inflammation already there that also then disrupts insulin signaling pathways it involved in metabolizing glucose so it's both like so we want to balance blood sugars to help with the inflammation but we also want to improve the inflammation to help with blood sugars right so it goes yeah
0: absolutely is that because the of the mitochondria like are overwhelmed and can't function properly is that like they're just not taking in the glucose yeah yeah, it
1: inter- it, yeah and it disrupts specific insulin signaling pathways um from that. Yeah. So, okay.
0: All right. So interesting. I mean, it's, yeah. everything is connected,
1: right? <laughs> connected, well connected. Yeah. Um, so with the gut health piece, you know, it, it is our microbiome is really, really important in balancing blood sugars. And so I I'll get to acromantia in a second, but one of the things that plays like a really big role is fiber, right? And this relates to the So when we are eating more fibrous foods, specifically insoluble fiber, it really, so, so fiber in general, like really is going to slow down um, digestion. and really helps with blood sugar control, right? So that's one piece of it. That's like the basic thing, right? Just, just eating more fiber really helps us balance our blood sugars, but also certain, certain bacteria really like certain types of food and bacteria, um, really thrive, like, especially the, the Acromensia bacteria, the butyrate, which produce butyrate really thrive on fiber and, um, they really, when you have an insoluble fiber, it really die it really gets down the gut pathway and actually makes it into the the gut and and turns into short chain fatty acids. And though they when they feed on that, it really helps produce butyrate, right? And butyrate gives energy to the cells in um, the intestinal lining. Um, and if you don't have a lot of this, this can also impact inflammation and it also stimulates butyrate stimulates GLP one secretion. So GLP one stimulates insulin secretion from beta cells. So, which to me, this is really fascinating because GLP ones are now used as drugs for blood sugar control. Wow. Right. So you have like the SEMPICs and things like that, where, but this is a pathway that we can influence with just what we're eating. To me, this is like mind blowing, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can intervene way down the pathway with these drugs, or you can really start, especially early on intervening with the types of foods that you're eating or direct butyrate supplementation. So um, when, and going back to acromensia acromensia is one of the butyrate producing bacteria so when i do gut testing which i think jessica you probably do this too but when i do gi maps i can yeah. see acromensia being really low for people that are having blood sugar imbalance issues have diabetes prediabetes you can really? literally see it wow. being so low for people. And the thing when I'm going to go
0: back to- and check my GI map, because that wasn't on my radar until this is. <laughs> so now I'm going to, my GI map is like four years old, but I'm still going to have a look.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating how it can really correlate. And the other piece is, to, you know, for people who actually then actually get diabetes, um, sometimes they don't have the ability to even make butyrate. Right. So this, so then we have to actually supplement with actual butyrate. Like they, they can't actually make the conversion happen because of Um, a genetic snip or I don't actually know why. I think it's still maybe being studied. I haven't read anything on exactly why that happens, but we know that sometimes that pathways just gets more interrupted and it just doesn't, the conversion doesn't happen as well for people. Um, so sometimes you have to, you know, like the, if you're eating more fiber rich foods, especially resistant starches. So, you know, when you're eating the resistant starches, that really then helps the butyrate that helps the bacteria convert it into the butyrate but sometimes with people they can't actually do the conversion so you have to just give the actual butyrate to um you know get the same benefits
0: okay that's really interesting because i feel like i mean in my personal experience i eat a really blood sugar balancing diet but you know when i did i, I still am very reactive and i mean i have an ongoing SIBO but um, I wonder if I should experiment with a little bit of butyrate supplements and see, um, yeah. because I, yeah. I eat <laughs> enough fiber, definitely. Um, but so, also yeah. a
1: specific type of fiber. So, you know, resistant starches, especially in the blood sugar world, like with type two diabetes and pre diabetes, you know, resistant starches are really foods like beans and lentils, plantains, mm-hmm. um, Rice and pl- uh, potatoes that are cooked and cooled are all resistant starches. Yeah. And those are all the foods that people are generally afraid to eat. You know? yeah, yeah. And so it's really, right. yeah, right. So, and these are the foods that are extremely, extremely good at helping produce butyrate. And people are cutting them out. They're like not eating beans and lentils because they think they'll spike blood sugars. Or they, if they have GI issues, they're especially not eating them they're scared of rice They're scared of potatoes, right. And, or plantains if that's you you're used to eating. And so introducing these foods back in really makes such a big difference, not just eating like a lot of vegetables, but specifically eating resistant starches can really help with increasing butyrate production. And also ghee, um, which is clarified butter is really, really high in, you know, um, in help with the butyrate piece so um that is a really good thing to also if you want to cook with ghee um and and you know include it in your diet that also really helps
0: i didn't know that about ghee i'll I'll give it a go i mean i i'm at this point with my SIBO where i i mean I, i never actually i did the biphasic um and low fodmap so i cut out beans and things like that at that time but um i i haven't I haven't since, I still eat beans and and pulses and I eat um, cold jacket potatoes, although I I tend to do better with half of it. I can't, I'm not great with a whole one. Like I really feel that in my gut, but it's really, you know, learning what you can tolerate, you know, because Mm -hmm. I think the problem in my experience, because most of my clients do have SIBO, is that they have a bad experience with a food and be like, I can't eat any of that food and Mm -hmm. it might be about the portion you know it might be or it might be about the combination um and so I think that's really important to experiment if you're scared of a food can you start with a tablespoon and then can you move up to a quarter of a cup you know like kind of trying it in that way
1: yeah or also if 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 you know I remember being so scared I can totally I can totally still remember this you know how how scared I was of like Mm -hmm. Of So many foods, right? I was eating five foods at one point. So I can totally see that. But you can also then just supplement with a pill, you can supplement with actual like a powder or something that may not be as intimidating. If a lot of these foods are intimidating, you know, there's, yeah. there's products that you can use to supplement to get the butyrate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I don't know if you, you know, you don't have to, if you don't have time, but if you've got a favorite, like two or three products I can put in the show notes, that would be really help helpful for people, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely give you a couple that some are like um, powders that you can add, like the resistant starches that are more like food based, right? And then yeah. you can also get actual butyrate like um, pills that you can also take.
0: That'd be great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um And I I can't honestly I can't quite remember, but I know that they did trial like supplement people PCOS with Acromancia. So, do mm-hmm. you have any? Is that what you would do? Would you use that, or would you can? I mean, you kind of need to be focusing on what the, what you're eating, you know, most importantly. But do you find supplementing with that type of probiotic helpful? That strain.
1: You, I have not done Acromancia probiotic supplementation specifically, I tend to do more butyrate supplementation okay. or, or resistant starch food supplementation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like powders rather than the acromensia. I feel like, I, like, I just feel like that's new research and that may be helpful, but I wonder if like, for me, I'm just a, more of like a food-based yeah. first practitioner because yeah. you don't know all of the qualities that you're getting, um, like, you know, like with, with certain foods, like certain other nutrients also then promote the production of butyrate. It's not always just one thing. So yeah. for me, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I know enough to do that, you know, yeah, not to say just- that it doesn't work, but I prefer doing the whole food butyrate, like resistant starch, like product supplementation personally, um, rather than single, um, single probiotic strands.
0: Yeah, no that makes sense. I mean, it's really it with everything it should be kind of a food first approach, right? And then the supplements are su- supportive. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. Obviously, both of us are big on SIBO. Um and I just wondered, you know, is there any particular effect that SIBO might have on blood sugar that you've observed? Because Dr. Jacoby, she talked about in her training a correlation with m- methane and hyperglycemia. And mm-hmm. I think I think she might have were linked to a study. Um, but I don't or maybe she talked about there was a study but the reference wasn't there because then I spoke to Dr. Seebecker about this, because I said, I, I see this, I actually see this, this hypoglycemia with, with my methane um, clients. She said she hadn't seen it. So I just wondered if you had observed anything, or if you knew of what, you know, if there is some kind of connection.
1: So you, what are you observing with your clients? Just this blood sugar fluctuation? Yeah, happening?
0: yeah. And maybe most like a reactive hypoglycemia, for sure.
1: Yeah. So from what I know, I haven't seen any studies specifically, um, but they may be out there those with, uh, and I did look a while back at that time, I probably looked maybe seven or eight months ago, and I didn't see any specific studies on SIBO and blood sugars um, like that, you know, really talked about it in massive detail. But, but from what I do know is that there is a connection. People with diabetes do have a higher incidence of SIBO um, and uncontrolled blood sugars. And some of the the speculation could be that uncontrolled blood sugars cause nerve damage, right? So that Mm -hmm. could be damaging the nerve and impacting, like, you know, if you already have gut issues, that could be be playing a role. And then lower gut motility could be playing a role as well. in in contributing to the blood sugars in terms of like how maybe your your body's able to process the the food and how quickly or slowly the digestive process happens, um, affecting the motility. So those are some speculations. Um I so there is definitely a connection, you know, but I don't know that more than that in terms of like the specifics of how, you know, why there could be a hypoglycemia, like a reactive hypoglycemia. Um, but with SIBO, we know the migrating motor complex is extremely impacted, and so to me, I think that's definitely one area that could be affecting the blood sugars.
0: Yeah, and actually, as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking about many of my clients with SIBO also have, and sorry, and endometriosis also have elastinosis syndrome. Um, uh-huh. so kind oh, of mute, yeah. right? yeah. So they've got this. A lot of them have accelerated stomach emptying. So. And then their migrating motor complex is affected. (laughs) So actually maybe it's just a, it's kind of a, a perfect storm they're having, you know, the food is going through the stomach a bit too quickly. Um, they might have slower, large intestine motility. That's kind of contributing to the constipation thanks to something like methane or, but that actually makes sense. Maybe it is a bit of a perfect storm.
1: Um, and-, yeah, and then that could be like more mast cell activation stuff too, right? Like histamine, mast yes. cells. Um, and if you're not treating some of that stuff, like it could, I had a um, a uh, a client recently who had Adler's Adler's, and she also has pre-diabetes and she was having a lot of reactive, like I, w- I would say there weren't truly low blood sugars because she's yeah. pre-diabetic, but like they were just like. They she felt like it. the symptoms of it even though they weren't truly like technically low you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but i think there's so much happening with her and the histamine like so i think and she hasn't been willing to to really eliminate a lot of the histamine issue foods so i i yeah i think a lot of that like all the inflammation that's happening in the body and and the motility issues, there's probably so much happening. I, I can't even speak to like what the exact <laughs> issue could be, but when you have the diabetes and the Adlers and the potential mast cell and histamine and all that, it's like a lot. Yeah.
0: So kind of like, a, you know, we're speculating, but along the pathway of like what you were saying, the inflammation can actually affect the insulin pathway. So the inflammation from the mast cell activation could be potentially interrupting that.
1: Yeah. I mean, we definitely know from research that it affects the insulin signaling pathways um, that metabolize blood sugar. So the more inflammation that you have, and that this can happen even, you know, when we have more belly weight, when we have other health issues going on, or if we're eating a diet that's really inflammatory, all of that really is going to contribute to more inflammation, which is going to impact the insulin signaling pathways. So I imagine that the more inflammation you have, that, that that's getting impacted even more, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, histamine comes up so much with my, my clients. Um, I, I have um, MCAS, many of my clients have MCAS or, or at least a histamine intolerance. And unfortunately, we see it a lot in this community because um, with endometriosis, we do have a higher rate of mast cells and the mast cells are very trigger happy (laughs) Um, so and then you've also got you know this correlation with POTS and EDS and MCAS and and endometriosis and SIBO like they're all kind of in there together winding each other up so I can see that yeah they would be having an impact Um, I feel like histamine is just this whole fairly new kind of I, I feel like doctors are starting to like recognize it and take it more seriously but it's such a tricky, it's such a difficult one. Uh, sometimes I just want to kind of ignore. <laughs> I'm just like, it's too complicated. I just want to ignore my MCAS. and it's just something you can't ignore because it just you can't
1: ignore it. Yeah, yeah.
0: you know, or I eat something and my heart is doing somersaults. And I, yeah, it can't ignore.
1: Yeah, it. I mean, I actually wonder if I have it. I need to go get tested for it, but. Um, it, going low histamine is tough. That it's was the like, worst. It was even harder than, than the SIBO diet. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah it's really tough. Um, so sometimes like with, with this client, she's like, I can't do it. She's like, I'm not gonna do it. She's just taking some pills. Um, but yeah, so it, it's tough.
0: Yeah. I mean, high dose quercetin has really, really helped, helped me, um, yeah. And I've been able to expand a bit, but there are certain certain foods that there's still like, you know, I haven't eaten like cinnamon or certain spices for so for so long and it's it's yeah, my food is bland. <laughs> I know. Wine, mushrooms, there's so many things, right? That are mm-hmm yeah but definitely quercetin has been been massive and lowering inflammation overall um but yeah i mean histamine is a whole other podcast and there's many many of them if anyone wants to listen Mm -hmm. so how can we you know we've talked about these massively interesting connections and things that we don't understand yet but what's kind of in our control like how do we begin supporting our blood sugar through gut health specifically, I mean, you've given us actually quite a lot of tips already. Um, And are there strategies that we can start kind of to simply heal our gut? Because obviously, we could go down a tangent of SIBO, but that's such a big conversation. But are there kind of some simple first steps?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think balancing blood sugars is going to really help the gut, it's going to really help the inflammation, it's going to help hormones, like it, I think if there's one thing to really focus on is really balancing blood sugars and that's loaded in itself, right? There's a lot to balancing blood sugars, but at the very basic level, it's really trying to not, to really include a fiber, fat, and protein with your carbs and not have them alone, right? Mm -hmm. Like things like that, really making sure that we live in a, a a snack obsessed world now. And I know 15 years ago, even I used to say this where you should be eating every two hours or, you know, eat small, frequent meals. And this is where I find the connection of gut health and diabetes really intersects, right? Because when we look at the gut and the migrating motor complex, we know that the gut needs a break. It needs. Mm-hmm time to really do its job and to really digest and help you clean right like i find that really fascinating how it has a natural cleaning process embedded into its pr- process you know its yeah. mechanism and so but we don't often give it the time to do that when we're constantly putting food in our mouth you know mm-hmm. um and so really really thinking about having full fully balanced meals and snacks that are really going to keep you satisfied and full for a few hours and not having to eat every couple hours, every two hours, I think is a really great starting place. Um, Focusing on fiber and really increasing fiber and trying to include some of these foods that people have been told that are that have really been demonized in many ways and really get a bad rap, but trying to include a lot more resistant starches. I'm a really big proponent of including a lot of beans and lentils in the diet um, and you can start slow, but if, if cooking and cooling rice and cooking and cooling potatoes is is feels hard or is is way out of your comfort zone, start with beans. People have been eating beans and lentils for, centuries right like this has been a practice around the world for so long and they're so healing in so many ways and so good for your butyrate include um ghee you know and butyrate um in in supporting food so like just a lot of fiber in general resistant starches um so these are i think really good places to start is is really starting to balance the blood sugars, eating in a way that balances the blood sugars, including a lot of fiber-rich foods to really promote that acromantia bacteria, uh, butyrate-producing foods, so resistant starches specifically um, that feed that the, the bacteria and help you produce the butyrate. And then if you need, you can really supplement um, with the butyrate to help with the, with the blood sugar balance piece. Um, so yeah, and then working on inflammation. So I'm sure you talk about this so much, but working on, on reducing inflammatory foods, right? So eating more of an, inf- like an anti-inflammatory diet, which really helps with the blood sugars and can help with other things like endometriosis. So really trying to eat more whole foods as at the most simple level is really trying to eat more wholesome foods versus processed foods. And of course there's more to that, but but that's these are great places to start in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that these are the, the foundational pieces that need to kind of be in place before we build, you know, we build on top of that. Um, I just wondered um, two two things. So have you read Dr. Ruscio's um,
1: book? He's like, it's, it's kind of like a big, big textbook. <laughs> you know, he's he's on my list and I haven't, I haven't read it yet. Okay, well, look, I've
0: got it. I have not, I dip in and out of it because it is the longest thing in the world. Um, It's huge and it's very, very detailed. It's great, but I, yeah, I I haven't got the time to read that right now. Um, But he has a piece where he talks about, it's all very, very evidence-based, of course, um, you know, um, and he talks about this study, or several studies that basically show that blood sugar is more important for gut health than eating for gut health um and what i was trying to he he didn't really explain it too much but what my assumption was is what he meant was if you're throwing a load of sugar into your gut we know that's inflammatory for the gut we know that affects the gut microbiome uh, we know that reduces the good bacteria, it, it causes overgrowths in other bacteria, it can affect the gut lining, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um so that's kind of where I assumed he was leaning from and come, you know, coming to it from. But I couldn't uh and I think this is because I have to show maybe it was a like a, a big review paper, but it was kind of showing like this is the effect of eating like a, a diet for the gut that was you know full of fiber and blah blah and this is a, a gut a diet that was blood sugar balancing i can't quite remember i can send it to you if you're interested but yeah. i just wondered because you just said for the gut you know eat blood sugar balancing, that's going to help the gut is that because of we know that sugar inflames the gut and affects the microbiome or is there is there something else going on when we're eating for blood sugar that helps the gut to heal
1: yeah, so I think there's two things in my mind when I say that. One is when you balance the blood sugars, you really start to control the spikes and the ebbs and flows of insulin, right? So balancing that insulin and in, in, in really, so when you're balancing blood sugars in a way that also balances insulin, you're really helping all these other hormones that play a role in everything, right? It's helping also a lot of your gut hormones, like your, your, that, that play a role in satiety and, um, and, you know, hunger and fullness, like all of these are better regulated when you're eating in a way that is really balancing your blood sugars. So you're eating satiating meals that are keeping you full for a while and really helping control that blood sugar spike and, and, and fall. So that again, to me is like, because insulin is such a, fundamental hormone, you know, like I call it like the top dog hormone right? Mm -hmm. that really starts to play. Like it has this effect on everything else. Um, And we don't really talk about leptin and ghrelin that much, but it affects all of that, right? It affects cortisol levels and all of it. So to me, that is one piece of it. And then the other piece, the way that I teach my clients to eat is in a way that also really helps gut health and the insulin, which is really this cutting out these these constant snacking, um, okay. yeah. these habits, right? Because that supports blood sugars and insulin, which is really what we want to balance. Like the goal of balancing blood sugars to me is to really work on the insulin, is to really balance and reduce that, the heavy amount of insulin in the, in the body. Um, and one of the best ways to do that <clears throat> is to really, to really stop all the constant snacking every two hours, but also going back to this migrating motor complex, right? Like that, the, the gut really benefits from also having those, those gaps in eating. So to me, those really have this nice interplay. And, and when you're eating a blood sugar balancing diet, it is, you know, it is very, um, when you're doing it in a way that really supports in reducing insulin resistance, you are eating, a less inflammatory diet. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think all of that together is much more important than just focusing on one piece of it, which is, which is not, I'm not sure that's what he was saying, but like, if you're just focusing on, okay, let's eat a fiber rich diet versus if you're eating for a blood sugar balancing diet, you are including a a lot of fiber already, but you're also thinking about these other elements that help lower that insulin resistance and help with hormonal balance and all of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, that makes sense. And also just in case anyone is new to the podcast and hasn't heard me banging on about SIBO and the migrator motor complex, the, just for context, the migrator motor complex is a wave like kind of motion that occurs in the small intestine um, two hours after we've eaten and overnight to clear out the kind of food debris and bac- bacteria that kind of shouldn't really be there um, and it turns off every time we eat um, so you know we need to kind of leave more than two hours between meals to allow that migrating motor complex to kick in um, and you know someone said what was i listening to it actually might have been in one of the courses i was doing the other day i'd never so this is one area that i really struggle with because of um my blood sugar kind of issues they're much better now um they used to be terrible but i still need to snack quite frequently mm-hmm. and i and i think part of it is is habit like a fear that i'm gonna get a a dip i think Mm -hmm. part of it is that i have a very demanding job so i get a little bit of a dopamine hit if i have a little snack um that helps me kind of get through the day and then i think the other side is yeah i'm not quite yet able to go further um i think three hours is really where i push it um and then yeah, in this training they were like, you know, people are snacking all the time, which means insulin is up all the time. Yeah, exactly. When I'm snacking, I'm like, oh, yes. my glyco motor complex, yes. my motor complex. And then I was suddenly like, sure, I'm eating a yeah. really blood sugar balancing diet. It looks great. I feel good after I eat. I'm not crashing anymore. But my insulin is up all day every day.
1: Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's when we're, we're, we're used to like snacking all the time and we're really depending on sugar as our fuel, our body's used to that. Right. So Mm -hmm. then we're constant, like, we feel like there's more dips and, and, and spikes in blood sugars because we're used to that. But I think once you start to lower that insulin a little bit, and you start to, your body gets used to using other sources of, of fuel that tends to to be mitigated a little bit in my in in what I find Mm. like you're not used to having you you're you slowly get used to depending on other sources of fuel but also being able to stretch how long you can go because you know everything's a little bit more balanced the blood sugars but but specifically insulin
0: yeah so I mean it's so fascinating I think I found that helpful to just realize that and I can't believe I had just didn't connect the dots. I kind of knew it, but didn't know it. Um, but okay, that's really helpful. And last question, which really just out of curiosity, um, I wish I could remember the name. There's a book, and there's two men who run this like diabetes kind of protocol.
1: I'm sure you know who they are. Is it master your diabe- like yes, diabetes? Yes. Yes, yes, Master your diabetes or something like that.
0: So I haven't looked into them too much because i don't want to start kind of creating confusion for myself but obviously i'm trained in you know fiber fat protein on your plate they seem to promote no meat and very low fat diets because they say that the body is needs to kind of get used to high carbs they really promote a lot of like um sugar, um, on its own and uh, not sugar on its own fruit and, um, like lovely vegetables and lots of fiber, but they're not, they don't seem to, from what I've gathered, kind of focus so much on the protein and, and the fat, they're very low fat. This
1: confuses me. Just wondered yeah.
0: if you had like any insight on this.
1: I I mean, I. it's been a while since I've looked at them specifically. Um, at their specific protocols. Everybody has such like, there's so many new ways that like this person yeah, illuminate. like Dr. I Bernard, I think does like very low fat also, but everybody has like their slight little like modification on this. Um, I-, I love using fat, honestly. Like I think fat is like such an incredible tool when it comes to balancing your blood sugars and going back to this, I, this, you know, butyrate, like when you, we know now that having like there's studies showing that olive oil ghee has been used in Ayurveda for years. Like, you know, they sometimes say like when you're doing an Ayurvedic cleanse, it'll say, take a full tablespoon of, of ghee on an empty stomach. Well, now they're actually showing studies that a tablespoon of olive oil is really amazing for your gut microbiome, right? Like, Mm. so, so I just feel like, not that you have to do that on an empty stomach, but I just think that there's a place for all foods really. And so I'm not really into extremes, but I, and I also think that fat really helps stabilize blood sugar in such an incredible way. And so, yes, you know, we, we sometimes overdo fat, but I definitely am a big proponent of including fat um, to balance the blood sugars rather than eliminate it because then you just end up overdoing something else, right? When you eliminate one piece we've seen from every, from decades of low carb, low this, and then, then we move on to low fat and, you know, and and we end up just overdoing another, another thing when we eliminate something else, you know? So, um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent, of including fat. I think it has so many benefits to our health. Um, but yeah
0: yeah no I completely agree and that's why I haven't looked into this too much because every time I look at it it's it's fairly aggressive like you know with everyone's doing it wrong it should be a high carb like you know high fiber that's going to get the body like responding properly to it's going to be tolerating. I think that's kind of what they're trying to I mean it, they're trying to say like, you know, especially from a keto perspective, they're like, well, you're always going to spike then if you have carbs because your body's just not used to processing carbs. And I get that, but this low protein, low low fat really, really confuses me. But I just wondered if yeah. you had any any thoughts because they're quite a big, you know, they're a big deal and lots of people are doing what they're recommending seems to work, but I don't quite
1: get it. <laughs> so, yeah, and, I mean, I think a lot of, lot of different ways of eating can work, but can it be sustainable? It's yeah, always yeah. The question. You know, a question. And what's the long-term sustain, impact? Yeah. Can you sustain completely eliminating a, a food group, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I have people who join my programs and, and they're like, oh, I tried this and it worked. But then as soon as I stopped, because it was so miserable or so hard to sustain after like two or three months, it went back up and I, and I gained the weight back or, or my blood sugars bounced right back up. Right. So it's, it's the sustainability piece that to me is the big deals. Like, are you able to sustain the changes? Because that's truly what is going to help us be healthy long term, right? Like not just like hitting the the goal of whatever it is for like two months, and then you're right back where you started, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really, really interesting. And just, yeah, fascinating to talk to you. I've loved this conversation. And I feel like I've had like some answers to questions I've been sitting on for a long time. So thank you for um, Yeah, just answering my many questions.
1: No, it was so fun. Thank you for having me. This was really fun to do. And where can people find you if they want to work with you or, you know, read more about what you do? So my website is gargiparik.com. So it's G-A-R-G-I-P-A-R-I-K-H.com. So you can find me there i'm on instagram um my handle is the.diabetes.nutritionist so either one of those is are great places to find me and i'm very active on instagram so you can always stop by say hello and my dms but those are the places to find me
0: perfect your instagram's great so highly recommend everyone goes and checks it out thank you so much so that's it thank you so much for listening If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. You can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started on all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world